0: Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after.
1: Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is Cam and I'm joined by my co-Crosstalk intern, Johnny. Hello there. (laughs) Yes, and then also by our Crosstalk pastor, JD.
0: Good to be here this morning.
1: Yeah, um, how are you guys this morning? Good.
0: Good. Feeling good. Um, Not tired, which is nice. I'm excited for this week. I know we've got a lot of stuff coming up that like Mm -hmm. gets me excited. I feel like the spring is always uh, really, really jam-packed with good things coming. And so we got spring retreat in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited for. And then it kind of kicks off
2: the rest of the stuff for the semester for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, Johnny, how you doing?
2: Um, well it scares me that JD says good because like, he just ran a hundred K. Um so not too sure how he's good, but I'm doing great. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> ran you know 60 miles recently.
1: Yeah. I don't think restful. I've ran that in my lifetime, yeah. like, to be honest. If you combine all of the times I've run. I can't count
2: that won't. high. <laughs>
0: <Can you laughs> but yeah. Been that? good, been wrestling. Yeah. Math major.
1: Right. <laughs> well, I'm excited because this is our first time recording the podcast this semester. We've kind of had weather. Problems and like different reasons we couldn't meet up. But this is our first time recording kind of something new that we're doing. And so, JD, do you want to kind of tell everybody what that is?
0: Absolutely. If you guys have been at Crosstalk so far this semester, we've talked a lot about the fact that we have an ask the question button on mm-hmm. the Crosstalk guide. And so, we put out the ask and we wanted to hear your guys' best questions. And that could be about life, it could be about faith, it could be about any number of variety of things. And so, we're really excited because we have. Uh, our first question of the semester. And so this mm-hmm. is kind of uh, a little bit different than what we would normally do on The Last Word, where we're talking about um, the the message from this past week. We'd really like to take some time to talk about applicable questions that you guys are wondering about mm-hmm. here um, and to give the space to begin to dialogue about those things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so this week, we have a question that's, I feel like, pretty common among college students, which is why oh, yeah. I'm excited for us to Kind of tackle it as our first thing we do, Mm -hmm. but somebody submitted the question: What should dating look like in college? And I feel like that's a super broad question to ask because, like, like there, (laughs) there's I feel like there's so many aspects of Mm -hmm. dating, and so I've kind of I've I've brought us a little bit more specific questions that we can dive into to address this and address like what dating can look like, um, and get you guys' advice on it. So first thing I want to ask is how do I know that I'm in a good place to date for somebody who's listening?
0: That's a great question. Um, it, I will kind of backstop this all with uh, Ben Stewart, who many of us know mm-hmm. uh, or have listened to, whether uh, that's his time at Passion or with Breakaway. He has been a really great resource for me in this. He did an entire sermon series, and he also wrote a book called Single Dating Engaged married. Mm -hmm. Now, if you guys go back and you listen to all of that or you buy the book, you're going to hear a lot of kind of that language. I think it is a super valuable resource. One of the things that he says um, when thinking about a season of singleness in in specific is that God has ordained a season of singleness, not for us to fill it with distractions or career ambitions, Mm -hmm. but to pursue an undistracted devotion to him. So when we ask the question, how do I know I'm in a good place to date? Well, are we singularly pursuing a relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the number one indicator that we're not in a good place to date is if we are looking to a potential uh, person that we're in a relationship with to fulfill needs that they are not called to fulfill. If our relationship with God isn't right, if we're Mm -hmm. finding our identity, our worth, our value in another person and not in who God says Mm -hmm. that we are, ultimately we're not in a good place to date. It Mm -hmm. it boils down to that identity Mm -hmm. issue. You are in a good place to date when your identity is firmly rooted in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of us, I think, uh, miss the benefits of a season of singleness because we are wishing for um, the benefits of another season, a season of yeah. dating or engage- yeah. being engaged or for being sure. married, all of that. And there is a purpose in our season of singleness. And we have to get a relationship with God right before we can get a relationship with a guy or a girl right. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we forget, like, that people were never meant to complete us or be our savior. And I <laughs> yeah. think it's, it's just really common, um, I feel like, in pop culture and even in movies and, like, songs we hear to be like, I can't wait to find this person and then my life will finally be complete. And we forget that, like, Jesus is our first, like, romancer above all. Like, he's the one who died for us and who pursues a relationship with us every single day. And so I think a good question, like you were saying, is, like, if I need another person to be fulfilled in Christ, then maybe I'm not ready to date yet.
2: Mm, Yeah. That whole, you complete me, but then there's no room for Jesus in that uh, (laughs) whatever— pie chart you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but JD, I think you took that uh, question in a great direction about the whole mm-hmm. singleness. And yeah, Ben Stewart's book is an amazing resource. Um, but yeah, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, the gifting that singleness is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, that we yeah. see yeah. it as like a curse maybe in our generation, but rather Paul saying, no, this is a blessing that, mm-hmm. you know, someone who is single can do a lot more in ministry mm-hmm. that I can't do you know, mm-hmm. or that JD, like even you can't do, especially yeah, because you're married. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so definitely, I, I like to think that, yeah, you need to be able to be, you know, bring that singleness to God and know like who you are in him. Mm-hmm. And then you can start being like, okay, now I can understand what dating is for, what direction I want to take it, how to even bring dating to God, you know, because if you don't know how to bring singleness to God, then dating is going to be a lot more complicated for you. Yes. Yes. Until you find contentment in who
0: you are as a single person, you are definitely not. It's not a maybe. It is a definitely not ready to be in a dating relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because you will ultimately always look to that other person to meet needs Mm. that God is the only one who can meet in your life. And Mm. that leads to a lot of really toxic and dangerous things, whether that's codependency or um, a, a plethora of unhealthy behavior habits that happen inside of a relationship dynamic. When somebody is meeting needs they're not supposed to need. Mm -hmm. they're not supposed to meet. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Especially those expectations that you put Mm -hmm. on people. Oh, totally. And on yourself, it's just, yeah. Um, Like you Mm -hmm. said, it can create a really, really toxic and hard environment to live in and and thrive in Mm -hmm. um, and completely take the dependence off of God who is meant to be like, who we're solely dependent on on, um, and who is our sustainer. Um, And I think also like a good reflection question is like, for asking yourself if you're ready to date, is like, is it something that I obsess about? Like, what is yeah. what is the thing that's on my mind? And like, kind of self-reflect on, okay, what are what are my thoughts? Because what's in your heart is eventually going to come out of your mouth. And like, that's mm-hmm. going to eventually be the way that you act. Um, I think it's Matthew 12, 34 that talks about it, the abundance of the heart speaks, the mouth speaks. And it's also in Proverbs as well, but... Um, I think if you're in a place where you're like, I don't know, like, how do I know if I'm even, like, in a place where I'm thinking about the right things and, like, where I'm seeking the kingdom of God first, I think it's, like, with everything else in your life. And, like, we just talked about at Crosstalk about, like, self-reflection and asking God, like, mm-hmm. what in my life do I need to reorder and what do I need to prioritize so I can have good soil? Um, Matthew 6:33, seek the kingdom of God first and all these things will be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God, sit with Him and reflect on God. What are my thoughts? what are, what do I think about every single day? Do I obsess over anything? Because it's eventually going to come out of your heart, I mean, your mouth. And like, it's going to eventually be the way that you act. And so I think it can be, not that it's like everything else in life, but in a simple way, it, it, it can be where we seek his kingdom first and trust that like everything else, including like a relationship or an eventual spouse will be added unto us.
0: Yeah. Or that if it doesn't, yeah, That God has something more for us exactly. than that thing. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I I got out of a relation. Before Taylor and I started dating, I got mm-hmm. out of a long-term relationship that I thought was going to lead to marriage. And it didn't. We, we broke up and I was totally heartbroken. And mm-hmm. I remember it was a friend of mine who had taken um, an intentional X amount of time for mm-hmm. singleness with mm-hmm. the singular... Purpose of I want to draw closer to God in the same way that a fast would like. The sa- he was approaching singleness with the same way uh, people often approach a fast. And so he was talking, telling me about his story. And I was like, you know what? I think that that's something that would be really beneficial to me coming out of something that I thought was going to lead to marriage and, and did not. And so I took an entire year. Um, I set aside, I felt like the Lord told me it was a year. So I set aside an entire year and said, God, I am going to wholeheartedly pursue you mm-hmm. for 12 months. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what it means to be in you, to abide in you, to know myself as intimately as your child, mm-hmm. and first and foremost. And it was during that time that mm-hmm. I actually met Taylor. Mm -hmm. I started to ask the question, well, I really like her. I think she's great. Like, Mm -hmm. what what am I supposed to do? And that same friend was like, well, if she's still there at the end of the year. Then maybe the Lord's saying that that's the right person for you. But right now you need to honor the commitment that you've made to the Lord, that this is a year of singleness. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those that when we intentionally say, God, I am going to pursue you, most of the time he brings somebody alongside us in that journey Mm -hmm. that then we are um, perfectly matched for in the relationship sense because you're both pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. And -hmm. at the same time, you kind of pick up your head and you realize, oh, there's somebody else over there who's doing the same thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really awesome. I think this is a good transition into our next question, which is, as, as believers and as people who love Jesus, what should we be looking for in another person to know if we... Should even date them.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote Ben Stewart again. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling. I just think it's so. It's so good. Uh, it he says, "Singleness is for devotion, and dating is for evaluation. Mm-hmm. Singleness is for devotion. Dating is for evaluation. Meaning that dating is not a status that we sit in. It's actually a process that we walk." Through Um, dating exists for the purpose of evaluating whether or not we are supposed to run run alongside a person for the rest of our lives, and so dating always has a purpose. Dating to date has no purpose (laughs) for us. Mm -hmm. We need to have a purpose, and that purpose is evaluating whether this is somebody that I can run alongside for the rest for the rest of my life. And the process of evaluation, we have to consider how we view dating. Um, do we look at it with a consumer mentality mm. thinking about what do I get out of it or a companion mentality, which is saying, can I, uh, run alongside this person mm. for the rest of my life in a day in which, uh, people are marrying later and later. That's what all the statistics tell us, is that people are getting married later and later. And more and more, they're resorting to various forms of of meeting people, whether that's online, whether that is through a dating app, through social media, uh, things of that nature. We probably need to be reminded that marriage is really less about compatibility than commitment Mm -hmm. to one another. And that's not to say that attraction and chemistry don't matter, but it is to say that it is really important that we commit mm-hmm. to something. That in the process of dating, we're evaluating, can I run alongside this person for the rest of my life? And if the answer is yes, then I need to commit. Mm-hmm. And I need to let my yes be my yes and my no be my no, as James talks about.
1: Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about like phobo a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> at, Tell um, us what that is.
1: Fear of better option.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, yes.
1: And sadly, I think we do that with people a little bit which, in the dating yeah. pool. When we see somebody who's really awesome loves the lord and who we could run alongside the rest of our lives we can wait or not want to commit because wait what if there's something better out there what if there's mm-hmm. somebody better out there mm-hmm. and like i'm missing out and like truth is like the lord wants us to be with somebody who loves him and loves others and i yeah. like i i keep going thinking of like kind of the hollywood mindset almost a little bit that like you have mm-hmm. to find Excuse me, like the perfect one and like the perfect person. And we have this in our mind that, like, oh, if this person is not perfect to me, then like there's got to be somebody better out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, yeah FOBO. <laughs> no, that is so true. And to look at like characteristics of like, you know, what to look for in uh, someone to date, you know, dating's not in the Bible. It's, mm-hmm. you know, a yeah. pretty recent invention. And so people can often be like, all right, then let's not look at the Bible. But if you really do like look into it, there are multiple places. Like if you look at the story of Ruth, there's, you know, great tips and tricks to get out of that as to like, what does he admire about her? What does she admire about him before they, you know, come mm-hmm. together? Totally, and yeah. for Song of yeah. Solomon, I know we're like, whoa, stay away, Fifty Shades a <laughs> great book. But there's a lot <laughs> to be said in Song of Solomon that I love. And I always pull from whenever a guy is talking about You know, I need some dating tips, you know, from the Bible. What do I do? Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at that, the way that they talk about each other, you see that he admires that she is a hard worker. You see that she admires that his name is like poured out oil where it's just like got this Mm -hmm. really good reputation to it Mm -hmm. and that their community of friends around them celebrates their relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, you know, trying to date Mm -hmm. someone and all of your friends who are great people are you know, whoa, like we don't like y'all together. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a red flag that, you know, even the Bible is pointing to. And so I do think that there are some tips that you can look at in the Bible, especially Old Testament for me, but also New Testament, you could be looking at, you know, are her actions lining up with, you know, Jesus is the Lord of her life or, you know, is he acting, you know, how Jesus would in times of, you know, around friends that aren't Christian, in sports that he's playing or something. So there are definitely places in the Bible to look for characteristics on how to date. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, very simply, you know what people love by what they talk about. And so listen to them. What do they talk about? What do they Mm -hmm. talk about when there's not eyes on them, when they're just around their friends? Is it, like, football? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is it Taylor Swift? I know I talk about Taylor Swift a lot. (laughs) I love Taylor Swift. But, but, like, in a simple way, like— listening to them and kind of in the way that you look at your heart as well and evaluate what's on the inside of yours, like Mm -hmm. that person also who you're evaluating to date and like evaluating if they're a good person to spend the rest of your life with, like, what do they talk about? Like, do they bear the fruits of the spirit? Are they patient? Are they good to people? Are they kind to people? Um, Are they gentle towards other people? Um, And yeah, just like, I guess looking for the fruit, you know, and I was trying to make it not sound so like...
0: Yeah, it's, you know? it's hard because you don't want to fall into the Christianese. Like, yeah, you you exactly. want to be like plain spoken and thinking about things like this. And I, I really think that one of the more valuable things in this uh, evaluation process is being friends with somebody first. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: totally.
0: You have to know them and you have mm-hmm. to be known by them and you have to know them for who they truly are outside of the romantic uh, capacity mm-hmm. to this to really evaluate. It, is that someone that I could spend the rest of my life with because I know them, I'm friends with them. I've seen their character. I've seen whether, uh, mm-hmm. I see what God is doing in their life. I see the ways that mm-hmm. in which they are pursuing the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that really then allows you to com- make a commitment yeah. um, because you, yeah, sure, you've already answered the question about compatibility because you've been friends. But then when you enter into the dating relationship, you know enough to be able to commit. Mm-hmm. Um, so often with our fear of better options, mm-hmm. um, I think it is this, oh, shoot, um, how, would I, how would I term this? We often think about the scripture that says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And we think yeah. about that in a, in a past tense. And so therefore, when we, when we meet somebody and we're, we're evaluating <laughs> them as a potential dating partner, mm-hmm. we're thinking, well, all of their stuff is behind them. Mm -hmm. But what we don't then give the freedom for the people uh, in front of us is that they have sinned, they will sin, Mm -hmm. and they are probably sinning right now. And so therefore, there is no such thing as a perfect person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so our fear of better options is always looking for the person who is perfect or everything that we could have dreamed of. Well, that person doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you've developed a friendship, if there is some compatibility, Mm -hmm. then really what Mm -hmm. is needed is... Commitment.
1: Right. Yeah. And for
0: you to be able to say, I'm going to choose mm-hmm. this person. And that in in making that choice, I'm confident mm-hmm. that this is somebody that I can run alongside for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. So we we just talked about like dating for marriage and like that's mm-hmm. kind of our purpose in it. Yeah. And especially at our age and like being at the, the young adult kind of season and phase that we're at right now, I think it can be hard to like not get ahead of yourself in a sense mm-hmm. and like go on a date yeah. and be like, is this the person I'm gonna marry? <laughs> and like yeah. jump ahead and <clears throat> jump ahead in that way, excuse me. So I'm wondering how do you date in college without like letting your mind get too far and without jumping ahead of yourself?
0: Absolutely, I think that the greatest danger of dating is giving parts of your heart and your lives to someone when we're not married. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a significant risk. And many, many men and women, myself included, mm-hmm. have deep and lasting wounds from relationships because mm-hmm. uh, whatever relationship I was in enjoyed this emotional or physical closeness without a lasting, durable commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it is incredibly important that we don't allow ourselves to get uh, ahead of ourselves because yeah. that's where yeah. we put ourselves in, in positions <laughs> to To experience that kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing that I would suggest is fighting to be present mm-hmm. in the same way that, like singleness has a purpose, so does dating. Mm-hmm. Every season has, a purpose. And when we get ahead of ourselves, we miss the benefits of the season Mm -hmm. that we're in. Dating is really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And it should be enjoyed and it should be celebrated. And you should go on dates and you should experience things for the first time together. And you should get to know somebody at these really remarkable levels. And that should be enough in the Mm -hmm. season of dating. Mm -hmm. We need to be present in, in experiencing those things for the first time with people. The second yeah. thing is not only being present, but we need to set boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There needs to be boundaries. Yes. Uh, we have to establish some mutual boundaries, small and large, mm-hmm. and we have to actually commit to keeping them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually have to keep them. So many times our boundaries our great ideas, and then there's a lack of commitment to the follow-through on the boundaries that we've set. Mm -hmm. We develop um, depths and patterns of trust in setting boundaries that will serve our relationship long-term. And this goes for physical boundaries, but it also goes for emotional boundaries. Those things have to be there in order for you guys to not get ahead Of uh, yourself in a relationship. Because if you start to, for example, talk about marriage early on, then it's really easy to miss things that are happening in the present Mm -hmm. that are concerns that need to be worked through because you're already looking forward to something that hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I think, and Johnny, you talked about this in the, uh, as we talked about kind of what to be looking for, is you have to consistently include your community. Inside of this relationship, spending time together with other people, couples and singles, those who are willing to point out the good, the bad and the ugly in your relationship is incredibly important. We have to include our community in that and they help to hold us accountable to staying present. And then lastly, I would just remind everybody that dating is fun. I've already said it, but dating is fun. And so it should be celebrated and you shouldn't look forward to the next thing because then you're going to miss what's
2: the really good stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely a topic that I've struggled with because especially being in that season of being engaged, I'm like in the heat yeah. of that topic where yeah. I'm like really looking forward to marriage, but I'm also in the shortest season that Brooklyn and I are going to be in mm-hmm. and I got to enjoy it and be in it. And so it's been that struggle of being like, okay, I got to remember like of where I am and to enjoy mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so I think it is all about that emotional boundary that you were mm-hmm. talking about. And so to kind of like jump off of that, like JD, how would you try to find that line between Okay, boundaries are good and we need to find them and this like leads to healthy, you know, relationship mm-hmm. with like this person with God, but how do we make sure we're not also putting up those walls where mm-hmm. it might be overstepping it and being like, okay, we're not allowed to see each other or talk to each other until <laughs> this moment or you know, like how do you yeah. how do you find yeah. that good balance?
0: Absolutely. I think that um there, there is a good balance that comes with that. And sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes yeah. you're going to get it right. We are not perfect people. But ultimately, as your relationship progresses, mm-hmm. there are natural things that become topics of conversation. Once you tell a person in dating that you love them, mm-hmm. then you do. It, if you just tell a person that you love them and then never move beyond that, you're never actually going to get to engagement or marriage, right? And so yeah. there has to come a point in time where you begin to have the conversation. Are we looking to get, Married, mm-hmm. and that yeah. is uh, one seek wise counsel mm-hmm. in addressing those questions. So, like you That's need crazy. to like include your community, you need to include your mentors and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I think I really love this person, and I think I want to spend the rest of my life with them. How do I start to have this conversation with them? How do I not allow it to go too far? Right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between saying, "Hey, we're working towards marriage,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and we want." To become engaged, we want to get married, and then living in this fantasy land where we're talking about our future house and our cars and the names of our children, right? And what mm-hmm. our first what kind of dog we're gonna get as our first dog. Right. <laughs> and so that there there is <laughs> <Right answer>. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a boundary there between okay, we need to address the question of are we both on the same page moving towards marriage? Mm-hmm. But we don't allow that conversation uh, that points to marriage to then devolve into uh, going too far, right? Where Mm -hmm. we're trying to plan our entire life together. That is living in the future and Mm -hmm. we have no idea what's going to happen there. And you're only going to create unrealistic expectations that will end up causing hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, I I would actually be curious, you and I have talked about this a lot, Johnny, Mm -hmm. when it comes to engagement, uh, how... What have been the benefits of fighting to stay present in your engagement right now?
2: Yeah, I I think that it's helped both of us grow this like appreciation that we're like, hey, we're still going to be dating forever. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of took us back a step to be like, okay, like, let's, put a pause on wedding planning because that's, like, all we do. And Mm -hmm. let's, like, just go on a date. Let's just, you know, kind of stick to, you know, just, like, that we're still here. And, like, we're enjoying, like, boundaries. We're enjoying, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. season we're in. And so it's brought us to, like, have that, like, you know, first time, like, oh, I think I like you. I think I like you. And so it it has helped a lot for us to not just, like, turn our relationship into this is just planning, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, it's helped us enjoy it and have a good balance. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I still struggle, you know, to, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, definitely. trying to get ahead of myself. And so it is definitely tough, but man, it is definitely worth it to, you know, be seeking out those boundaries, mm-hmm. seeking out that balance. Absolutely. And I would also add in that God wants to teach us something in the season we're in. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: so in yeah. the season of engagement, like you guys are going through premarital counseling right now. God wants mm-hmm. to do something in both you and in Brooklyn individually, and he wants to grow you guys individually and as a couple so that you guys are a, have a strong foundation when you enter into marriage. And so if you just skip forward to the marriage part of things, then you miss all of the foundational pieces that God wants to build right now mm-hmm. so that when you enter into marriage, you guys are in a really healthy place and you guys are doing a great job of that, oh, of, of intentionally <laughs> seeking out those things. But I do just, I just wanted to mm-hmm. to like draw attention to that of like, yeah, this is where you're only engaged once mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that it, you don't want to miss it. Mm-hmm. And so you need to fight to, to date one another, to experience new things, to experience the joy of engagement, but you also need to look, have an eye towards what does God want to do yeah. right now in us to prepare us for that next season, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: The longer I live, the more I understand why God's um, God's purposes and God's um, boundaries that He sets for us are there for a reason, yeah. um, within the context of marriage and with and outside mm-hmm. the context of marriage. Um, because, like JD was saying, I think we can all like find a point in our lives where we weren't being obedient in in relationships that we were in. And it caused these deep wounds and these deep scars that like really do affect us. And they really do affect like, if we do get married later, like if that is what God has for us, like that can even affect like your relationship then and like your future Mm -hmm. spouse. And Mm -hmm. I think I'm just really grateful for what God has taught me um, in my mistakes and what he's redeemed. And like, I'm excited to see like what he does in my life, singleness or not, like marriage Mm -hmm. or not, like, it's so good to see like, wow, God is redeemed. Like yeah, he does and absolutely. he is, and he will continue to do with whatever my life looks like and whatever, like when you get married and like with your marriage, and it's just really yeah. beautiful to look at.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we can sometimes get frustrated with the idea that God is a God of order because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we don't like there being rules or boundaries that are set around us. Yeah, and, um, but the reality is God's order protects us. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, yeah. Uh, like all the way back at the beginning of Genesis, God created and ordered the world in a way to protect uh, human beings. And it was our own rebellion of wanting to reject that order and yeah. reject those boundaries that leads us down a path that really causes harm and hurt. And yeah. so I think that when you look at dating, engagement, singleness, marriage, all of those things, God places us in a has order. Mm-hmm. That's an inherent part of that. And it's there to protect us. And it's mm-hmm. there to uh, for our good. And he wants to do something remarkable in those things. We just have to stop rejecting kind of those boundaries that God wants to place around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and realize that he is for us, that he loves us, mm-hmm. that he redeems even our mistakes. And he wants to use those things ultimately uh, as a thing to draw us closer to him and to bring him glory in the way that we live our lives.
1: Yeah. Love that. What a good father.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, well, do you guys have any, like, last thoughts or, like, last things you want to add to that? Johnny, anything?
2: Um, just always, you know, love Jesus more than you'll love your dating partner or your mm-hmm. spouse. And I think that that's the key. Yeah. And any time that I'm, like, you know, struggling in the relationship with, uh, you know, Brooklyn, I'm always, like, how's my relationship with Jesus? So bringing it back to that, mm-hmm. I think that's, like, just my best tip. Yeah. That's
1: that's so good. Lovely. That's awesome. Well, thanks for hanging with us for a while, guys. I know this podcast was longer than it usually is, so we stuck around this long. Thank you, we appreciate it. It was fun talking to you guys. And um, JD, do you have any um, thing you want to tell us or like last words for us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Please keep the questions coming. Um, you guys can find it on the Crosstalk Guide, which is Crosstalk. TXST.com and click the submit a question button or just DM us on Instagram. Mm -hmm. We would love to continue to do more of these. Yeah, DMs are always open and we'll make sure that we get it addressed here on the podcast. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Just have the roads to yourself, but I hope that it was uh, a restful week. I was talking to people this week and the question is who knows what's going to happen in the upcoming weeks, if those are now going to be terrible because you had an entire week of classes canceled, basically. But hopefully this week and right now was restful. I hope that it was a time for you to step away from kind of just as everything was getting going to kind of pause for a moment. And I know it was for me. Having meetings canceled just allowed me to be around the house and to reflect. And as I reflected, um, a, a passage that I have read so many times throughout my life came, came to me in a new way, and, and it, it was brought to new understanding. So I'm excited for us to, to begin to explore that together this evening. And last week, uh, we talked about two stories. And in these two stories, there were controversy between Jesus and, and the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And these conflicts are really, really important for us as readers because the scribes and the Pharisees, those are the two groups of religious leaders during this point in history, were, were these men with large amounts of knowledge about Jewish law and tradition. And so when they criticize Jesus, they do it very, very carefully because, they have a, uh, because they're really, really well-read. It would be like debating with professors, people who are experts in their field here on campus. And these religious leaders challenged his behavior and his teaching all throughout his ministry. And these, we just took a look at a couple of the very first ones. And in those two stories, Jesus's authority is challenged in regard to the Sabbath, which was the day of the week in in Jewish uh, law in which there was a ceasing of all work. You didn't work for 24 hours. That meant you didn't do your chores. It meant that you didn't cook. It meant that you didn't do your laundry. In, in contemporary Orthodox Judaism, they still didn't even drive on the Sabbath. And so it's a day of no work whatsoever. And so the Pharisees challenged Jesus when they perceived he and his disciples doing work on the Sabbath. Now the Pharisees really get to the letter of the law. What does the law say? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? Because they wanted to trap Jesus into giving an answer that wasn't true to the letter of the law. But what Jesus does is he speaks to the intent of the law, the reason why God gave those commands to the people of Israel. And he speaks to the heart of the issue, not just to the adherence to the rule. And we talked about how being focused on following the letter, the law to the letter, which is what the Pharisees were focused on, is taking a very short-term view of our discipleship. It's taking a short-term view in our discipleship because it's all about behavior modification. It's all about doing the right thing. It's all about following the rules and avoiding making mistakes of any kind. But what Jesus invites us into is to see a very different vision of our discipleship, a long-term vision for our discipleship. He wants us to live lives that are transformed. He wants us to live lives that are transformed. And this is so much more than behavior modification. It is about becoming more and more like Jesus every day by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Jesus frees us from the bondage of the law. And when he frees us from the bondage of the law, he frees us up then to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Now, when we go back out into our everyday lives and we use the gifts and the talents that God has given us to their fullest, we enjoy God and we bring him glory through that expression. And really what Jesus wants for us is he wants us to thrive. He wants us to thrive in relationship with him, trusting that he will transform us more and more into his image. And so this week, we're going to look at the heart condition that's necessary for us to experience the kind of thriving that Jesus wants to bring about in our lives. How many of you guys uh, own plants? Show hands, how many people own plants? We got, we got strong raised hands. Okay, so we're probably... something like that. Uh, How many, for those of you guys who own plants, be honest with me for a second, how many of you are your plants on the very raggedy edge of dying? Okay, we got one. (laughs) We got two. Yeah, I've definitely got a few right now that are on the very raggedy edge of dying. The freeze that happened in December really treated me poorly because I... Went to bed and woke up the next morning and it was freezing cold outside and all of my plants were already dying. And so now we're in the phase where I'm trying to rescue and resurrect something that is beyond all hope. But I love plants. And we've talked about this before. But there there are several reasons that I love plants. First of which is that I love having them in my home. I think that they really brighten space. I think that they bring color and they bring some really unique things to our lives. And they make me feel good to look at them, quite frankly. Having like a healthy plant in my house just feels nice. There's something really satisfying about it. Now, we've talked about the, the fact that the way that I see a care, my care for my plants is a theological act. Because in my care for my plants... I am exercising care for God's good creation. And so I love plants. I I love them. And there are, there's kind of a cycle that happens with me, if I'm being honest. I go and I get excited. I buy a plant. And for about the first month, I take great care of that plant. I'm obsessive over that plant. I want it to be the greatest thing in the entire world. And then after about a month, I get busy and I become less intentional. And then eventually, I just forget about the plant. And sometime down the road, I look over and I see that it's brown and wilting. And now I want to save the plant that I spent my $15 on before I feel like I've really wasted my money. Right? I don't know about, for those of you all who own plants if that's the same cycle that you get into. But I walk into Home Depot needing like fertilizer and I come out with three plants because I'm really excited about something that I saw. And so I go through this cycle very, very regularly. It usually starts in the spring. When the nursery at Home Depot is in like full bloom, I'm like, I wanna buy everything in here. (laughs) I want want everything. And now I have one plant that I'm very, very proud of. Last, uh, Last April for my wife's birthday, I bought her a fiddle leaf fig. Yeah, I am trendy like Instagram girl with my plants. Fiddle leaf figs, I know they're in. And so I have this fiddle leaf fig that is beautiful. It's beautiful. And every time I look at it, I am so proud of it. Because it is like, I haven't had anything fall off of it. It's never died. It's not like, all of this stuff is perfect. And I got it right because I finally called a friend of mine. And he is a horticulturist, which is a plant guy. For those, if you guys want to impress somebody with a word that you just learned, horticulture is the study of plants. So he's a horticulturist. He loves plants. And he told me, and this is like preaching to the choir, that every plant needs three basic things to survive. Three basic things. And I bet you guys could guess what they are. The first of which is it needs light, right? It needs light, and more light than you think it would possibly need. And so, me, for example, I go into Home Depot and there's something that says it's a low-light plant, which I believe means that I can put it inside of my closet (laughs) where it gets no light and then I wonder why it's dead. So every plant needs light and they need more light than we think. The second thing that it needs is it needs water, right? And there's a very delicate balance with how much water you give to a plant because you don't give it enough. It dries out and it dies. If you give it too much, you drown the roots and it dies. And so you're trying to figure out what that perfect middle ground is in terms of watering your plant. Now, the third thing that it needs is it needs great soil. It needs great soil. Not like the crummy stuff that we have here in the Texas Hill Country where it's six inches and then bedrock underneath. But it needs really, really good soil, a place where, in a pot that's big enough for that. Because when it experiences that, then all of the roots can begin to grow and spread all throughout that nutrient-dense soil. So every plant needs those three things. My solution is always that it just needs fertilizer, but I was told that I was wrong. It just needs light water and great soil. And so when you listen to Jesus, What's remarkable about the way that he teaches is that he uses illustrations oftentimes from from these three things, from light, from water, and from soil. For example, Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives in the book of John, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus points to himself as being the light. Again, in the book of John, he's, uh, he's standing in the temple during one of the feasts, and on the last day of the feast, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. Okay, so now Jesus is referring to himself as the source of living water. We can also think about it in terms of water, the woman at the well, right? What does Jesus say to her? He says, whoever drinks the water that I, will, that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he oftentimes talks using, uh, using these sorts of illustrations of light, light, of water, and then today he's going to talk about soil, and he's going to talk about the necessary conditions for our spiritual life to grow and actually thrive, to experience the same sort of growth that we hope to see every time we buy that small little succulent at Home Depot for $10, hoping it's not going to die. And so we're going to open the scriptures, we're going to look, uh, and we're going to start reading beginning in Mark chapter 4 in verse 1. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose and it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Yet other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears To hear, let him hear. And then he walks away. Or at least that's what Mark tells us, is he just leaves at this. Now imagine for a second that you're sitting in the crowd. He's just told this story, this parable, and then he walks away. You're thinking, what in the world am I supposed to get from that? What could I possibly understand from that. The parable at a very face value is incredibly simple and it doesn't have much meaning on its own. It's only when we're told that Jesus goes away and his disciples go with him and they ask him and they say, we have no idea what you're talking about. Will you explain the parable to us? In verse 10 it says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. They're trying to figure it out too. And he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? And then he begins to explain at this point. Verse 14 says, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Now, the word is something that this Jewish crowd would be incredibly familiar with. They'd be incredibly familiar with this because the word is something that's uttered from the mouth of God and things happen. Things happen. If you look back at chapter one of the book of Genesis, when God begins to speak, that is when creation comes into being and the world begins to become order. And the Word was present then at the beginning of creation, and it was through God's Word that all things were made. John says it in this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now for those of us reading in this context, we understand that the Word was Jesus, the person of Jesus. Now, this is crucial for the disciples to understand because in just a few chapters, what Jesus is gonna do is he's going to send out the disciples to begin to sow the word. And he wants the disciples to understand what sort of people will accept it when they share it with them. And before we go any further, I do wanna talk about how to, to understand parables. First thing that we have to do is we have to understand the characters that are involved in the parable. So in this parable, for example, we have the sower, we have the seed, and then we have the soil. Those are our three variables, th- those are our three variables here in this parable. The next question we have to ask ourselves is which one of those are constant and which ones change? So we look at the original parable, we see that the sower and the seed are constants. They're the same in every situation, but it's the, the soil that changes. And so when we read the parable then, what we need to pay attention to is the variable that changes because that gives us the clue for how to understand what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at, at this first soil and we'll see how this all kind of works itself out. Verse 15 says, and these are the ones along the path where this word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. We're told that the seed lands upon the path. Now, the path is is this area of hard soil that has been walked on over and over and over again. And so, therefore, it has become compacted. So when the seed is thrown onto this hard soil, no growth ever takes place. In in fact, the seed is immediately carried away. And so, before we go any farther, we need to, to clarify something. Um, and I should have clarified this earlier, but the soil in this context, in this parable, is the condition of one's heart. It's the condition of one's heart. And the condition of one's heart is important because it determines our receptiveness to the Word. It determines how we receive the Word that is sown in our lives. And so when Jesus is talking about the hard soil, he's talking about the heart that is hardened to God. And there are a variety of reasons that our heart becomes hardened to God. Uh, it, It could be disappointment. It could be unmet expectations. It could be frustration or loss, any number of different things, you name it. But out of those feelings, it is entirely possible for us to harden our hearts so that the word of God cannot penetrate it. And most of us have probably been in this place before. Maybe if we're being honest, you guys are in this place right now. And when this takes place, what happens is we begin to value things that have little to no value to God. When our heart is hard, we begin to value things that have little to no value to God. And so Jesus wants to tell the disciples that this is the heart that they will find out in the world. That they will encounter hearts like this that are hardened to the word of God when it's shared with them. And so we talked about earlier how God wants to build a thri- he wants you to thrive in your life. And the thriving that happens in our life happens because of the word being sown in our hearts. The word plays a pivotal role in our thriving because it opens us up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. But that transformation can only take place if our heart condition is receptive to the word that is spoken to us. And so here, Jesus is talking about the heart that is not receptive, that is closed off to the word of God. Now, there's something underlying this parable at at a historical level that we need to understand. Society at the time that Jesus was walking the earth was driven by subsistence farming. Now, subsistence farming simply means that a family was dependent upon the success of their crops for their survival. They were directly dependent upon the success of their crops for their survival. There was no large-scale capitalist market economy like we have today. This was all small-scale local agrarian markets. And so everyone's livelihood in some way, shape, or form revolved around this agrarian lifestyle. So when Jesus teaches Using these agrarian metaphors, they land perfectly with the crowd that he is teaching to because this is this kind of world that they live in. The problem for us as a modern reader is that we don't exist in this world. We we aren't subsistence farmers, or I don't know of any of you guys in the room who are subsistence farmers, And so there's a fundamental disconnect between how we hear Jesus' teachings here and now and how the original audience did. And so here is one of those points where we fundamentally miss something because of our current context. In a subsistence farming existence, you don't waste seed. You don't waste seed because it is that same seed that you need to sow next year's crops your life and your livelihood are dependent upon that seed. And when that seed is gone, it's gone. There is no going to the feed store, there is no going to the grocery store and going to get more, it's gone. Which means at that point in time, you have no ability to then grow more crops or to feed your family. And so for example, when you're going through a drought and you have a bad crop year, families have to make a decision. Do I feed my children or do I save the last of the grain to plant a crop later in the year? And when this is your world, you cannot waste even a head of grain. Nothing is disposable when that is your lifestyle because that grain is the difference between life and death which is still the reality for many people in the world today. But that's that's a reality that we uh, are disconnected from. And so the people who are listening to Jesus here in this moment, where he is talking about a farmer throwing seed intentionally on hard ground, are going, what? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. That's so wasteful. You know that where you threw that seed, it's not going to grow. And inside of that moment, there's a mini lesson for us about God's grace. It teaches us that God's grace is extravagant. God's grace is extravagant because he takes the thing that is most precious to him and he is willing to throw it out into the hard soul of a person who will not receive it. And he will do it over and over and over Again. And how do I know that that's true? Because I've experienced it. That's my story. It's a story of a God who pursued me even when I continued to reject him. It's the story of a God who never stops even when my heart was hardened towards him. And the message of Jesus here in this moment is incredibly clear don't write anybody off. We don't write anybody off because God does not write them off. And inside of this important theological truth about God's grace is the reminder for us that when we do outreach, when we are sowing the seed that is the word into the lives of the people around us, whether that is handing out cards on the quad, whether it is inviting a friend or a classmate or a coworker to community group or crosstalk, whether it's talking about our faith in a public context, even if we encounter hearts that are hardened to God, we don't write anybody off. Because we know that God doesn't write them off. And so we continue to sow the seed because we know the extravagance of God's grace that pursues us over and over and over again, even when our hearts are hard. So that's the hard heart. He goes on in verse 16 and he says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now this is the shallow soil. The shallow soil. The condition of our heart is shallow. Therefore, it has no root. And it dies when trials or tribulations come as a result of the word. Dallas Willard, a theologian, says, actually a philosopher says, a person becomes shallow when their interests and thoughts go no further than themselves. A person becomes shallow when their interests and thoughts go no further than themselves. This is to become self-absorbed, to focus on only what is best for me and mine. And that's contrary to what God wants. God wants us to go deep, He invites us to go deeper with him. And for that to happen, we have to ultimately let him in. Psalm 42 says it in this way. He says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Deep calls to deep. God wants to take us deeper into relationship with him. He invites us to experience true intimacy with him. And the shallowness of our life is the thing that we really have to be careful of. We have to guard against becoming shallow and self-serving in our interests. And there really are are three main dangers in our lives that can bring about this sort of shallowness, the first of which is our relationship with money. What role does money play in your life? How do you handle money? Is your relationship with money self-serving or is it selfless? Beyond money, the second big danger for us is that of sex, your view of sex. Your viewpoint of sex has the the power to determine how you orient your personal relationships. And so is your view of sex practiced within the bounds of a covenant marital relationship? Or is your relationship with sex used to fulfill selfish motives? So we have money, we have sex, and then the third big one is power. What is our relationship to power? And you might say to yourself, I have no power. I, have, I hold no position of authority. I have no uh, leadership role in my life, but we all exert an element of power over the relationships that exist in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And the question is, how do we view and how do we utilize the power that we have in those spaces? Is it used to get ahead of others, to place yourself on a pedestal above them, or is it used then as a way to elevate the conditions of others, to bring others along with you? And really, I think you could end up adding a fourth to this list of what brings about shallowness in our life, and that would be distraction. That would be distraction especially since the advent of the iPhone. I had a friend tell me a story years ago, and I want to relay part of it to you. When Silicon Valley was really taking off the advent of the iPhone, there were all of these app developers who ended up going to uh, the same course at Stanford together. And it was a course on addiction. And now this course on addiction wasn't how to cure addiction. It was actually the symptoms of how someone becomes addicted to something. And so when they went back to their jobs in Silicon Valley, what they began to do is they began to use this addiction research to drive how they built apps. Because their goal was, how do I keep a person on my app for the longest amount of time? How do I keep them scrolling? How do I keep them playing? How do I keep them utilizing the thing that I put in front of them? It's crazy to me. They actually used clinical addiction research to drive the way in which we spend our time on our phones because they're trying to distract us. They're trying to keep us in that place. Now, I'm not a guy who, who plays games on my phone. I'm not. I, I'm really lame. I'm the guy who literally has solitaire on my phone. So I wasn't a Candy Crush guy. I'm not a Clash of Clans guy. I have no social media. But I, about... It was actually a year ago, just about now. I got COVID, and so I downloaded a game that i have been hearing about on a podcast for a long time, Best Fiends. It's like the little, the little creature guys you defeat slugs. It's like a little puzzle game. I freaking love it. And what I found was that it was great for the five days that I was in quarantine, but then I found myself, I, I, I would have 15 minutes, right, to work on a project for, for school. It could have been for my wife. It could have been for work. And what was I doing? I was sitting there trying to like pop the little bubbles, right? They'd figured out a way to keep me hooked. And ultimately what I was dis- doing was distracting myself because the thing that was in front of me seemed far less fun than the cheap entertainment that I had at my fingertips. I told Johnny and Cam and Paulina about it. I don't think they ever got into it, but it, it's still, still one of my favorites, we have money, we have sex, we have power, and we have distraction. All of these things have the power to create shallowness in our hearts. They turn us inward, not towards God, but towards ourself. They create in us a selfish heart, and they cause us to become self-absorbed. And Jesus tells us that the word cannot thrive, in that shallow self-absorbed Heart. So we have the hard soil. We have the shallow soil. And then in verse 18, he says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word, world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it prov- proves unfruitful. Now this isn't hardness. It isn't shallowness. This is the cluttered heart. The cluttered heart. This is when we begin to thrive in relationship with God. But the cares of this world, worry and anxiety, uh, the desire for control, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Note, it doesn't say riches. It doesn't say money or wealth. It says the deceitfulness of riches. It is the lie that wealth will fulfill us or give us meaning in our life. And the desires for other things, the desires to acquire more and more and more and more, to buy what we don't need, believing that the next thing will finally be enough, which it never is. These things, they come up and they choke the good things of God right out of our lives. In plants, these are... Uh, These are the briars and the thorns that grow up around the existing plant. Now, these do not strangle and they don't choke the plant. But the way that it works is these thorns come up and they weave themselves around. And what they do is they ensure that the plant doesn't receive light. And in the absence of light, the plant dies. So these things creep up and around our heart and they choke out the things of God to the point that we cannot see the light and the word of God begins to die in our life. And what's so amazing to me is that Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. And really, if he were in this room tonight, I think he could teach the exact same thing and it would be 100% applicable to our life. Think about it. How often does worry capture you and won't let you go? How often are we fooled into beginning to think that the next thing that I purchase will satisfy me? Or that if I only made X amount of dollars, then I would be comfortable and I would be content in my life. For honest, all of us have a tendency to fall into that trap at points in time. This is the cluttered life. In Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord describes that the people of Israel have traded the worship of God for that of idols. And he says that they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is the essence of the cluttered life. It is seeking fulfillment in all of these things that will always leave us wanting. Because our cup will never be full. And rather than recognize that it's broken, we continue to try and fill it up with more things. Yet we have forsaken, as Jeremiah tells us, the spring of living water. We have the hard heart. We have the shallow heart. We have the cluttered heart. Heart. These three conditions of the heart prevent us from experiencing the life that God offers us. He goes on in verse 20 and he says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. Here's what I know about Jesus He is for you, He is for you, and He wants you to thrive and to bear fruit. That is his greatest desire for you is that you thrive and bear fruit in your life. And we thrive most clearly when we understand that the God of the universe desires relationship with you. And it is in the context of that relationship that we begin to produce fruit in our lives. And it is the condition of our heart that is so necessary for that fruit to take place. And so the question becomes, how do we develop healthy soil in our hearts? How do we develop healthy soil in our hearts? Well, there are kind of three steps in in going through this. The first of which is that we need to reflect. We need to reflect, and we have to ask the question, what is the condition of my heart? What is the condition of my heart? Socrates famously said that the unexamined life is not a life worth living. The unexamined life is not a life worth living living. And so it's imperative for us to reflect, to look inward and ask the question, what is the condition of my heart? Now, this is the thing that is the hardest for me in my life. I am not naturally self-reflective in any way, shape, or form. I'm naturally a future-oriented person, and so therefore it's very, very difficult for me to sit and reflect. I'm always on to the next thing, but I can tell you from experience that this is the most important practice to cultivate in our lives. Because it causes us to pause and to think and to say, where am I? What is the condition of my heart? And it asks us to answer the question, if I had to put the soil of my heart in one of these four categories, which one would it go in? Which of these four soils applies to you right now? And maybe that's just worth tomorrow morning when you wake up and you have an extra 15 minutes sitting around with your cup of coffee and reflecting and really being honest with yourself. So we reflect and then we have to pay attention. Paying attention is in the current context. It's saying, am I spending time on what matters? Am I spending time on what matters or am I wasting time on things that don't draw me closer to God? Our time is our most valuable resource and it oftentimes tells us where our priorities are. And so when we pay attention to the way we spend our time, it gives us an idea of where our heart condition is. And then lastly, we need to reorder our lives. We ask the question, am I ordering my life around what God says is important? In other words, we're establishing healthy habits in our life. We're establishing healthy rhythms that allow us and put us in a position to then receive from God and bear fruit in our life. God wants you to be healthy. He wants me to be healthy. He does. He wants us actually to thrive. And we get healthy when we take the time to reflect to pay attention, and to reorder our life on the things of God. This is the way that we cultivate the good soil in our hearts. And when we do so, we really begin to bear fruits. And it's at that point that we step into the role that God has for us as sowers of the seed. We then get to join God in his work of sowing the seed, which is the word Jesus Christ who came to restore us back to right relationship with God and bring about human thriving for all of mankind. Let us pray. God, I thank you, Jesus, that when we open your word, Lord, that you're faithful to speak, Lord, that you're faithful to bring us into new understanding. And so, God, we come before you, God, and we we want bear fruit. We want to thrive in relationship with you, God. And so we ask that you would examine our hearts, Lord, that you would show us where the points in which that we might need to reorder and to pay attention to the things that are not of you, God. And Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit, Lord, to empower us to reorder our lives so that we may bear fruit, God, and be used by you to sow the seed, which is your word here on this campus and in our families and in our classrooms, God, in our workplaces. Father, we, we thank you that the work is not done, Lord, that you continue to draw us deeper into relationship with you. And as we do that, Lord, we experience more and more of your extravagant grace, which you freely give us, Jesus. We pray all of these things in your name.